Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Have you ever just uh, missed what's right in front of you? Just missed the obvious? Came across a story this week in preparation for, uh, for this sermon about a customs agent who was responsible for the traffic that would come across the border. And as he was, he was there doing his job that particular day, he saw a truck come to the border, and uh, he, just, he just looked suspicious. So he had the driver get out, and he just went through that truck with a fine-tooth comb. He took the bumpers off, and they looked inside the doors, took the doors off. I mean, looked through the entirety of that truck and found nothing to wave the guy on through. Next week, same customs agent was there at the, at the custom border, and uh, this same guy was driving a different truck coming to the border. And the customs agent just knew that there was something off about that, so he went through the whole process again. Looked in the doors, checked everything. Again, didn't find anything. Week after week, year after year, this same customs agent would see this same guy driving a different truck across the border. And they did x-ray machines, and they did body scans, and they did all sort of stuff. And never could they find anything in those trucks that that guy was, was smuggling across the border. Finally, after years, the customs agent was about to retire. And this same guy driving a different truck came to the border. The customs agent looked at the fellow and he said, listen, we've been through this. Week after week, year after year, I know you're smuggling something. I'm about to retire. I promise you, you're not going to get in trouble at all if you tell me what you've been smuggling. The driver looked at him and he said, trucks. Sometimes, sometimes we miss what's right in front of us. I've read the Bible and prayed over the Bible and taught it and preached it. And I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of sometimes looking at the text of Scripture and through preconceived notions or what I already think I know what it says, really picking up this is what it says and focusing on that. I think sometimes in the 21st century, 21st century Americans, Christians sitting in churches like we're sitting in today... I think sometimes the topic of the kingdom of God is like that for us. I think we, we read Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and we focus on the gospel. And we should. There's truth there. I'm going to talk about that this morning. But sometimes we miss that little phrase, that prepositional phrase of the kingdom. What, what is that all about? Folks, I just want to tell you, the kingdom is something that Jesus taught about and spoke about the entirety of his ministry. He initiated his ministry that way. When he was teaching the disciples, the 40 days in between his resurrection and his ascension, the book of Acts 1-3 tells us that he was teaching them about the kingdom. You get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul, as he was on his journey to Rome, waiting to, to stand before the emperor... When he brought the Jewish people into his house to declare to them about who Jesus was, the Bible says he taught them the gospel of the kingdom. What is it about the kingdom that that we kind of ignore? Maybe it's our, our pushback against tyrants and kings. Maybe it's because we don't live in a monarchy. Or maybe it's because implicitly we realize 
that when a king makes an announcement or when a king is in, it, it, it rules, he's the one completely in charge of everything. Jeremy Treat put it this way, that the kingdom is God's rule through God's people over God's place. What we're going to look at today is the inauguration of that kingdom, the announcement of it, what Jesus said. And what I'd like to do is ask you to pay attention to three admonitions that flow out of the text. Things that that we don't need to miss. As we read this passage of Scripture, for some it will be very familiar, for others not so much. But we don't need to miss what's there because we think we understand all the, 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 the outworkings of the text. So read with me this wonderful passage of Scripture, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him. From Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So here's admonition number one. Don't miss the astounding significance of Jesus' announcement. Our memory verse for this month is uh, Matthew 4.17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a beautiful statement. It's an entry point into Jesus' ministry. But there is so much to unpack in that one simple affirming statement that that encourages us and that challenges us. For starters, the the verse begins from that time. Uh, That time, if you look back in in the, the section in Matthew, what you discover is that Matthew identified a prophetic fulfillment. Uh, that, that passage of scripture that you look above and see the land of Zebulun and verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. That passage of scripture is a quotation from the book of Isaiah chapter 9. One that even if you can't recall exactly what's there, you'll remember phrases like this, For unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Right? And he will be given a name called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That's the text where this prophetic fulfillment comes from. In two places in that prophetic announcement, you find this word, the government shall rest upon his shoulder. So the messianic claim, the hope, the prophetic announcement from Isaiah is that a Messiah would come, a king. And the word dominion or the word um, government in the book of Isaiah means dominion or domination. In other words, the picture is that the Messiah is going to be a king. He's going to be someone who reigns and someone who rules. And he came to a place that's a strange place for a king to come. He came to the place of Galilee. Uh, Galilee in the first century could have been as much as 50% Gentile. 
And for any of the places for Jesus to show up and start preaching and teaching, that would have been one of the odd ones. Why would he go to a place that could have been as much as 50% Gentile? Now, of course, Jesus said, articulated over and over through his ministry, his starting point was to the lost sheep of the people of Israel. But Jesus never turned away those who were not Israelite. And in fact, the emphasis of his ministry, as we get to the end of the book of Matthew, is that he wanted his message, the good news of the kingdom, to go to all nations. And it's illustrated here at the beginning of his ministry where he was in Galilee. So the prophetic announcement from Isaiah is that a king would come, a Messiah, one who would rule. And he came to a place where people were dark, living in darkness. They they didn't have eyes to see. And they came hearing an announcement. What's the announcement? The announcement is the good news of the kingdom. Now that word, if you look back, look down in verse 23 for a moment. Jesus taught in their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's a word that's used all throughout the New Testament for preaching, uh, for communicating. It's a word that we identify with with the task of preaching. The Greek word is keruso. It carries with it authoritative proclamation. And in the context of Scripture, that makes sense. But that word in the Greek language is not limited to a preaching context or a religious context. Context. We use it as such in the New Testament, but it was used for all sort of other things, significant things, I might add. That word Caruso would have been used when an emperor announced a new strategy or something that everybody else needed to hear. In other words, if he said, Here's a new policy, I announced that he would send out a herald, he would send out an announcer who would be speaking in the voice of the emperor or with the authority of the emperor. Here's what you need to know. That word is also used when the son of an emperor was born. So, for example, Augustus Caesar, when Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor at this particular time in Christian history, when he was reigning, he would have announced, his father would have announced, there is a new son, and he is the son of the emperor. He is the new coming emperor. That's the announcement that would have been made. In other words, it's not a word for a conversation. Jesus didn't enter the world and say, hey, folks, gather around, let's have a talk. He didn't say, let's have a forum. You ask me your questions, and I'll ask you mine, and we'll have a discussion. There's a place for that kind of conversation within Christianity. There's absolutely a place for you and I having conversations with people who don't know Jesus. But let me just make this abundantly clear. When Jesus started his ministry, he wasn't asking for permission, and he also was not asking for opinion. He was stating baldly, the kingdom has come. He was declaring to everybody around him that the kingdom had arrived. Now, that's staggering for several other reasons as well. It's staggering because that's exactly what the Jewish people were hoping for. If you stay with us over the next few weeks, one of the things you're going to hear is as we open our worship service, we're going to, we always open our worship service with Scripture, but we're going to pick places in the Old Testament where the Bible identifies God as king. And we're going to do that over and over again because here's the reality. The people, the Jewish people, wanted a king. In fact, they believed that God was going to send them a king. The prophetic announcements of the Old Testament promised them there was going to be a king sitting on a throne. They were looking for that king. They wanted a Messiah. For about 500 or so years, they had not had a king sitting on a throne since God sent the Babylonians to send the the Israelites into exile. They longed for that. They didn't want to be under Roman rule. They didn't want someone they perceived as a usurper in Herod to be on the throne. They longed for a king. 
fact, they longed for a king so much that during the time that they were overruled by the, the Greek empire, Antiochus, a terrible leader, he sacrificed a pig on a Jewish altar. And Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish hero, revolted and kind of freed the Jews from underneath the Greek rule. And it wasn't much longer that the Romans came along and put the Jewish people under Roman rule. The Jewish people longed for a king. They wanted that person that they could, that, that they could follow. They were thinking about revolution. They were thinking about Rome being overthrown. They were thinking about the fact that there would be a king and all the world's peoples would answer to their king. That's what they were hoping for. That's what they were longing for. And so when Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's the imagery that all of the listeners there would have been drawn to. It's also staggering because of what was really going on in the world politically at the time. See, the Jewish people were not even their own. They didn't even control their own government. They didn't rule themselves. They had a usurper on the throne in Herod, and then they had the emperor, Tiberius Caesar, sitting on a throne in Rome, controlling everything that they did. So when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. When he made that announcement, when he declared that authoritatively, it's as if he was saying, the emperor's not really in charge, Herod's not really in charge, and your ideas and values aren't really in charge. I'm in charge. N.T. Wright puts it this way, a beautiful way to, to say this. The, this claim that Jesus made can never be in our sense, or indeed in the ancient sense, merely religious. It involves everything. From power and politics to culture and family. It catches up the religious meanings, including personal spirituality and transformation. And the philosophical ones, including ethics and worldview. But it places them all within a larger vision that can be stated quite simply. God is now in charge. And he is in charge through Jesus. When Jesus made that statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the words at hand mean has come, has come now. Meaning that when Jesus said to all the crowds there, and he repeated this over and over again in his ministry, the kingdom of heaven has come, it means it's here. It's present, it's in the here and now, and it is available. Matthew goes to great pains to tell us that this is exactly what, was, what, what, what was, should be anticipated. In chapter 1, the lineage of Jesus goes through Joseph all the way back to David to point to the fact that the Messiah coming would be king. In chapter 2, you have the wise men showing up at, at, at the doorstep of Jerusalem to Herod. Do you remember what they asked Herod? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Do you remember that? That's exactly what they were longing for. Chapter 3, Jesus embodies the picture of baptism, what we witness today. Beautiful statement, right? Don't you love seeing people follow through uh, with their faith publicly declaring that, that Jesus is Lord? I love that. It's a glorious picture and privilege. Jesus went through the waters of baptism. And, and illustratively, it's as if the people of Israel were coming out of Egypt. They went through the water, and so Jesus came through the waters of baptism. He is taking on representation for the people of Israel. Chapter 4, he faces temptation, and where Israel sinned, Jesus did not sin. Where Israel messed up, Jesus did not mess up. And the whole point of, of those chapters is anticipating and foreshadowing this announcement that Jesus would make, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here's, here's the warning. Don't mistake that for just merely religious language. It is absolutely a religious announcement. 
It's a spiritual announcement. It matters for your heart and my, life, my heart. I'm going to talk about that here in a minute, but it is so much more than that. Jesus is stating baldly and plainly that there is someone who is in charge, and it's not the person in Rome. And it's not the person that's sitting on a, on a, on a throne in Jerusalem. And it's not anybody that will come after them. It is me. I'm the one who is bringing the kingdom of God in our world. And what we're going to discover as we look through the Gospel of Matthew is that over and over again, Jesus illustrates, applies, and explains how the truth of that, how the reality of that has come to bear in the world in which he lived and in the world in which you and I experience. So here's the reality. Don't mistake, don't miss the astounding significance of Jesus' announcement. Here's a second admonition. Don't mistake being present for repentance and following the king. You'll see from this text that there were all sort of people gathered around Jesus. He healed people, so they brought the crowds. He gathered his disciples around them. He invited Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him. He invited repentance. Yea, he actually demanded repentance. He said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is that word repentance? In the Greek it's metanoia. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Say this with utter clarity. Okay, The only people that will experience the forgiveness of God are those who have turned from their sins and turned to Jesus Christ through the act of repentance or through the, the response, rather, of repentance. That's what Jesus demands. He demands that we turn from our sin. He demands that our hearts are changed and that we turn to follow Jesus. We witnessed that today, at least the, the outpouring of that, that had already happened in the hearts and lives of, of four children. And, and I love the families. I, I love all you families. I just want to tell you I love our church. But I love the ones that, that, that had opportunity for their children to be baptized today. Because I know the conversations that have happened with mom and dad and Colt, with Devin and Sally and Colt. I know the, the folks that have been praying for Colt to put his faith and trust in Jesus. And so that was worked out today in the public display of baptism. Reese Younger has been talking to her mom and dad, Travis and Christy, for, for months about trusting Jesus. And guess what? She made that profession of faith at home. We talked about it in my office. And she got a chance to follow through with baptism. Stephen and Caroline Mercer, wonderful family that I hope you as a church family get to know. They've had an opportunity to lead all their children to Jesus. Ask Caroline and Stephen about those stories. Fantastic. I won't, I won't uh, spoil all those stories for you. Fantastic stories. But hearing James and Adriana and their coming to faith in Jesus in their home and have an opportunity to be baptized. Folks, the only way that you experience the forgiveness and, 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 and the salvation that God promises is by turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. Repent. Have to turn away from your sin. But notice what happens right after that. Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee and he looked at some fishermen. Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he said, it's time for you to follow me. Leave your stuff behind and join me. Jesus never invites us to merely repent. He invites us to repent and follow him. And follow him as the king. He's the one in charge. Now in, in the context here, what, what takes place, and this is where the admonition comes from. Don't mistake being present for repenting and for following. In the context, what you'll discover, if you look on in verses 23 and following... Jesus began a healing ministry and a preaching ministry. And people gathered around him. 
And as we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, we look at Matthew 5, beginning in Matthew 5 next week, we're going to discover that there were lots of people gathered around Jesus. There were a lot of people around him. Folks, there were the disciples that were around him, Peter and John and Andrew and, and James and others who, who heard his call and said, I'm leaving everything and I'm going to follow Jesus. They were around Jesus when he taught. You're also going to see that there are religious leaders around Jesus. They, they didn't really believe in what Jesus said. They didn't obey him. They certainly didn't repent of their wickedness and turn to Christ. But they were there. They were present. They listened. And they spent the entirety of Jesus' ministry trying to catch him in some kind of flaw or sin to destroy him. And to some degree, they were successful. If you look at what happened at the end of the gospel accounts, what they didn't know is they were playing into the sovereign hand of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the one who brought about the redemption of mankind by his son dying on a cruel Roman cross. And then you had the curious crowds. A lot of those crowds were there because they came sick. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. They came sick and broken and they came in need of something and they met Jesus and Jesus healed them where they were and he met their needs. And some people came because they heard how Jesus healed Aunt Sue. And Uncle Fred, they heard the story. Somebody told them, hey, we went to Jesus and Jesus did this. Fred had a broken leg. He didn't have a broken leg anymore. Sue was blind. She's not blind anymore. Those things are gone. And so there were, there were crowds of people that gathered. And they gathered to watch what was going on in the ministry of Jesus. They were present. But were they repentant? Did they follow Jesus? Here's the warning, the admonition. Folks, I say this lovingly as, as a pastor. I pray for you. Our elders pray for you. Our deacons and our church leaders care about you, want to, want to serve you, want you to walk with God and know Jesus. But I see people all the time who, who the, the category of what they think Christianity is is doing God a favor by showing up on a Sunday morning. The mindset is this, I'll be there today and I'll be there and I'll show up. I know I wasn't here last week, but I'll be here this week. God, aren't you happy with me because I gave you an hour of my time? Sure, I didn't pay attention during all the sermon. I checked out. I was, I was scrolling through my phone some of the time. But, but, you know, I gave you part of my time and I sang a third of a song. You know, I, I, I voiced a third of the song. I know I really didn't mean it, but I, but I sang. It was there. Aren't you pleased with me, God, for, for showing up and being present? And let me say this. I say this lovingly. It is better that we're present in the audience where Jesus is at work than that we're not here at all. But Jesus never told people, show up and hear what I've got to say. It's not what he announced. He didn't say, I want you here. He said, repent and follow me. Jesus wants your life. And why can he say that? Because he's not just talking to us as a, as a religious nice person. Jesus does not exist to, to make our hearts feel better. He does do that, but that's not why he exists. Jesus is king. Folks, the announcement is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because our obligation is to the one who rescues our heart from sin. When he says to us, repent, he means, I will forgive you of your unrighteousness. I will wash it away. I will bring you into my family. But then right after that, the picture is, follow me. Walk away from all the other stuff that, that controls your allegiances and follow 
me. I'm going to say something to you lovingly. I'm trying not to be harsh. I know it's hard. Some of what Scripture tells us is hard. Uh, As you listen to these sermons, the, the gospel of the kingdom, especially as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, there are places in the Bible and there are things that Jesus says and there are messages and illustrations that Jesus gives that you're not going to like and I'm not going to like. There are things I wish Jesus didn't talk about. Read Matthew 5. Go home, go home today and read Matthew 5 and you'll find a few of those. One of those for me is anger. I wish Jesus hadn't talked about anger. I'm not a murderer. I've never taken someone's life. But heaven help if Jesus didn't have to talk about anger. I've been angry. And some of you know this. It's enjoyable to be angry. It's cathartic. You know what I mean? Anybody in here? If you're not not going to admit it, your spouse will admit it for you. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say it's okay to be angry. He said if you've been angry with your brother, your sin is just as guilt-ridden as murder. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There are some things we're going to hear that we're not going to like because here's the reality. The kingdom, the message of the kingdom rubs up against our lives over and over and over again. It challenges you and challenges me in what we think, in what we desire, in what we long for, in our habits and in our practices. And Jesus is inviting us not just to hear the message and be present. He's inviting us to repent of our sins to turn from our unrighteousness and to follow him. Folks, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came to to witness baptism if you're here as a guest. I'm glad you came church member to be here. But let me beg of you, don't merely be present in the room. Repent of your sins and follow Jesus. Turn from unrighteousness. Some of you are here today, and that's exactly where you are. Your sin has kept you from Jesus. You don't want to give up that addiction. You don't want to give up that habit. You don't want to give up that thought. You don't want to give up that relationship. You're not willing to do it. Or you haven't until this point. Today, Jesus is inviting you to repent. He's inviting you to turn away from that and to turn to him and experience forgiveness and life. Some of you are here today as Christians, and you have done that. You have repented of your sins. You have turned from your unrighteousness. You remember You may not remember the day. You may not be able to put it on a calendar, but you remember the moment. You and I have talked about it. Many of you, I've I've asked that question of you, and you've told me that moment that you became a Christ follower, and you'll never forget it, and it is embedded in your mind. You repented of your sin. But but let me, me beg you. Don't just think that repenting in the past and being present in, in the moment is all that Jesus asks, because it's not. He says... Follow me. What gives him the right to say that? Folks, he's king. He's sovereign. He's in charge. I think one of the reasons we miss the good news of the kingdom is because we realize that if there's a king, if he rules, I no longer have right to make all the decisions in my life. He does. He's in charge. Let me give you a third admonition. This is an encouraging one. I realize that one was a a little hard. I hope it wasn't harsh. If it was, forgive me. Um, But here's an encouraging one. Don't let your circumstances paralyze you. Rather, bring them to Jesus whose kingdom has invaded the here and now. Watch what, what people did 
Verse 23, he was teaching in their synagogues, was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and healing every affliction. His fame spread, and so people brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with diseases and pains. And pains, I think headaches are included there. I think arthritis might have been included there. Broken bones might have been included there. Oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And did you catch that last phrase in the verse? He healed them. He healed them. One of the things that's staggering about Jesus' statement about the kingdom is that he's talking about things that obviously have political ramifications in their day. Like, like that's one reason why Jesus was crucified, folks. The language that he used, the, the statements that he made, were not just nice religious commentary for a pastor in a church or for a religious teacher in a synagogue. The things he said challenged the status quo of religious leaders and political, pol- political people alike. He shook the world where it was, which is why Pilate stood by and let the religious leaders and the Romans crucify Jesus. What he said shakes us to our core. And in context, the people who heard that were wondering, when is the kingdom going to happen? When is it going to come? The disciples asked him that in Matthew 24. They asked him that again in Acts chapter 1. Are you talking about now? When is it going to happen? When are you coming back? When are you going to sit on your throne? And I'm going to tell you something, folks. As Christians living in the 21st century, one of the things that we are fascinated with is when is Jesus coming back? When is he going to right all the wrongs? When is all this mess going to go away? When am I not going to have to worry about a political ad and a political election anymore? When's that stuff going to be over? We wonder those things, right? And yet, what is Jesus doing? He's not creating an army. He didn't bring around him followers or revolutionaries. He didn't set up political systems. He's healing people who have pains and aches and diseases and demon possession. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is trying to get all of those around him to understand his kingdom is something different. Sure, it has political ramifications. Thank heavens it will be an ultimately king of kings, lord of lords kingdom one day in the future. But it is here and it is now. And where did it meet people? Jesus didn't meet people in the halls of politics in Rome. And he didn't meet people in the seat of power in Judea. He met people in the country, countryside as they brought to him all the sick and the broken and the demon, demon oppressed. He met them where they were. You know what we have a tendency to do with our circumstances? Especially the ones that, that can be devastating. Some of you know, you deal with depression or mental illness, grief or sadness. Some of you deal with aches and pains, arthritis and other things. Some very serious diagnoses like cancer or like, or like heart failure. And, and those kind of things, they can paralyze us. They can cause us to kind of withdraw and be isolated. They can cause us to think nobody cares. They can cause us to think that there's no one out there who's for me and who's with me through this. Folks that are caregivers with loved ones with dementia, I mean, we can go on down the line. And what can happen is we can let our circumstances paralyze us. What we need to do is what the people in the text did, bring their circumstances to Jesus. 
Bring them to Jesus. He doesn't promise that he's going to take it all away. I wish he did. I, I wish he would just heal everybody of their, their, their maladies now. He doesn't promise that he'll do that. But he does promise he won't ignore anyone that comes to him. Because Jesus doesn't want us to be paralyzed by our circumstances. He wants us to be freed in a relationship with him. And here's the encouraging thing. Jesus meets us in that place of mess and muck. He, he's not waiting on you to fix your life or fix your health circumstances before you come to him. He meets people where they are, which means he can meet you right where you are. Some of you need to come, come to Jesus. And bring your trouble to him. He may not fix it, but he can. He's king. Here's what it means. If Jesus cares about healing headaches and diseases, in Matthew chapter 4, then do you really think he doesn't care about your stuff? No. Because Jesus' kingdom is here and is now. It's present and available in our world. Some of you say, does that really still happen? Is it really possible that Jesus is here, present, meeting me in my circumstances? Absolutely, I think it is. I think there are a couple ways I could illustrate that. One, that's why Christians for 2,000 years have, have been the ones to start hospitals and, and, and take the, the message of the good news to people who are less fortunate. That's why we celebrate people like Mother Teresa. That's why we celebrate people that are, that are doctors that meet people where they're sick. That's why we as Christians do things like Samaritan's Person and, and minister all over the world. Why? Because we're embodying and embracing the very values that Jesus embodied and embraced when he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Christians who love Jesus and love other people have been the most significant world changers that, has, that have ever been on planet earth in terms of making people's lives better and meeting them where they are. That's an example of exactly what God did through Jesus and what God wants us to do. But I want to tell you, he's still in the business of meeting us in the here and now. A couple weeks ago, uh, Wade McGinnis was sharing in our deacons meeting a, a story that it just moved me when he shared it. He, he was talking about going on a mission trip. Uh, Wade has gone on several mission trips with Dr. Joe Pinkerton. Uh, he and Dr. Pinkerton actually are going on a mission trip next month. Uh, they're going to be in some of the uh, rural regions of Honduras uh, offering medical care uh, for people who don't have access to it. I realize that all of us could complain a little bit about the types of medical care we get. We call to make an appointment with a doctor and we get a physician's assistant instead. We have to wait an extra day or two to get a prescription filled. If you've been in the line at CVS or Walgreens, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, how many minutes of my life am I losing? Hours of my life just waiting in the line. I mean, we, we have, we have health care struggles, but they're first world health care problems, not third world health care problems. Let me just remind you that. One of the reasons that, that Joe and Wade and others have been on those mission trips is because in those rural villages, there's not telehealth. There's not a pharmacy. There's not a way to deal with anything as simple as an infection or a headache. They just don't have it. It's not, not available. So they go and provide measures of health care to people who never would get it otherwise. A few years ago, they were on a mission trip in one of those rural villages in Honduras. And, uh, and, and they saw all kind of things that day. They dealt with, with 
people with infections. They, one doctor had to fix some, uh, some serious infection of a cut that had been sewn up improperly and caused all sort of infection. Done, did a lot of things like that. And in the course of the day, about a third of the way through the day, uh, Wade's job was to be the pharmacist. So he was there making sure that when a doctor or a nurse came to him and said, I need this, he would provide the sutures or he would provide the bandage or he would provide the medicine and, and the thing, of the things that they had brought. But a third of the way through the day, they ran out of children's Tylenol. He knows they ran out of children's Tylenol because for the rest of the day, doctors and nurses would come to him and say, and listen, do we have anything else that will serve as a fever reducer? And he looked through everything that they had brought, looked through it over and over again. There was nothing else there, nothing else to provide for the, the, the needs of the rest of the day. Got to the end of the day, one of the doctors, Shane, uh, was treating a child who absolutely needed fever reduction. He was dealing with an, the child was dealing with an infection, and Shane came back to, to Mac or Wade McGinnis, and he said, Wade, listen, can you look through the stuff again? Is there any chance that we've missed something that I can give to this child to reduce the fever? So Wade went back to the, to the table where he had, had been organizing all of the, the pharmacy stores, and right in the middle of the table was a bottle of children's Tylenol sitting right there for him to hand to Dr. Shane to make sure that that child's fever got reduced. Now, you may be sitting in the congregation this morning skeptical. You may think, hold on a second. Somebody probably didn't need that bottle, and they brought it back, and they set it down in the middle of the table. Or you may say, Wade just overlooked it. Wade, he just didn't notice it, didn't see it, and finally he saw a bottle that was there. Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe the kingdom of God met them in that moment. And God provided what that doctor needed for that moment for that child. Just like Jesus did some 2,000 years ago when he met the people with aches and pains and diseases and difficulties. Folks, the kingdom of God is not just something for out there and for tomorrow. It is here and it is now. And Jesus is inviting you to meet him and to know him and to experience him. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to repent. I would love to talk to you about what it means to turn from your sins and follow Christ. Would you meet me at the altar after the service? If you're not comfortable coming forward, I'll be in the hallway. Pull me aside. I would love to talk with you about what it means to repent and turn to Christ. Christian, some of you in here are playing church. You're here today, thank heavens, but are you really following Jesus? He's the king. He's the one who gets to say what needs to happen in your life. Some of you need to turn and follow him. Set aside all the stuff that's distracting you. He is to be our primary allegiance. And then there's some of you in the room, I, I know... You're carrying with you griefs and sadness and sickness and issues. I know you are. I want to tell you, Jesus is here and now to meet you with what you have. Would you come to him? Would you stop being paralyzed by your situations and bring them to Jesus and trust him? Ask him to heal you, but trust him to walk with you even if he doesn't. I can tell you story after story of friend after friend, church member after church member who know God didn't miraculously heal them.
but they know Jesus better today because of what they faced over the last six or eight or ten years. And Jesus has been with them every moment. And they're not paralyzed by their situation because the king is with them. He's available. We've just got to come to him. Would you stand with me? Our Lord, we come to you in this moment. And we are so gloriously thankful for your saving work. Thankful, Heavenly Father, that you love us and that you care for us. I thank you, Lord, for Colt and Reese, James and Adriana, putting their faith and trust in you and following through with baptism, and I pray for them. Lord, I, I pray for the ones in the room that need to repent. Will you work in their hearts and lives? Will you convict them of their sin and show them their need to follow you? Lord, I pray for the, those of us that are here that are Christians that we got the repentance part right years ago, but our allegiance is off. We're, we're focused on the wrong thing. We're not really following you. We're, we act like we're doing you a favor rather than following the king. I pray that you would get a hold of our hearts and remind us that we're to be submitted to the one who's in charge. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room who are struggling, whose circumstances have, have driven them to stress and frustration, in some cases to isolation, worry, fear. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help them to meet you. And know that you're right here, available for them. But I pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.